0: My name is Vicky James and this is Murder Sandwich a true crime and mystery podcast and i'm sure everyone is thinking the real mystery here is where have you been <laughs> so i think i mentioned in the last podcast that i'm part of this project at work and it ended up consuming an insane amount of my time so i am back it is settled so I'm really happy to be back, and I'm sorry for my disappearance, but let's just really jump right into it. Today we are going to be discussing Charles Cullen, and he's very similar to Christopher Dunch or Dr. Death that I did a handful of episodes ago, and basically it's another medical professional turned to the dark side and going against their code of honor. So let's get going and mow down on some true crime. So Charles Edmund Cullen was born on February twenty second, nineteen sixty. And he was born in West Orange, New Jersey, to a pretty religious, working-class Irish Catholic family. And he was actually the youngest of eight children. And so his father, who was named Edmund, was a bus driver. And he was 56 when Charles was born. And unfortunately, on September 17, 1960, he actually passed away. And Charles was only seven months old. Unfortunately, tragedy was not far behind. So Charles's mother, whose name was Florence, she actually immigrated to the United States from England after World War II and was killed in a car accident on December 6, 1977 at the age of 55. And Charles was just a senior in high school. One of his sisters was actually at the wheel in that accident And I couldn't find if she survived or not. There was no mention of that. So I'm assuming that she survived. But two of his other siblings would also die in their adulthood. So lots of death in the family so far. Charles did recall this moment later in life with his mom passing away and said that his mother's death was absolutely devastating for him and that he was very upset at the local hospital because they didn't immediately inform him of her death and also didn't return her body, but instead had it cremated. So I could understand if that's, you know, it's going against the wishes of the family, I'm assuming. So I'm sure that was must have been really upsetting for him. Um, But later in life, uh, Charles described his childhood as absolutely miserable and claimed to have been bullied by his sister's boyfriends and then by other peers as well. At only nine years old is when Charles made his first suicide attempt. This would be one of, I think, 20 or just over 20 suicide attempts throughout his life. And this first one was that he received a like children's chemistry set and he actually drank all of the chemicals in it. He survived. And later while he worked as a nurse, he, that's, you know, he claimed to have fantasized doing this by stealing drugs from the hospital and then using them to commit suicide. So it's that seemed to have followed him in his adult life. So a year after his mom died, he dropped out of high school and he enlisted in the U.S. Navy, where he actually served aboard the submarine USS Woodrow Wilson. Charles successfully passed basic training and the rigorous psychological examinations required for submarine crews who were expected to spend like two months at a time submerged in the water. I have a touch of claustrophobia and the sound of that just made me cringe so hard. I could literally not imagine. So Charles rose to the rank of petty officer second class as part of the team that operated the ship's Poseidon missiles. Now, I don't really know anything about missiles, so I was curious about this one. And I read that the maximum speed that this missile can go is either 8,000 miles per hour or 13,000 kilometers per hour. And I just thought that was insane and thought I would share it with you because that is flipping fast, which, like, I get it. It's a missile, but, like, I don't know what what I was expecting even, but – Anyway, as the trend does follow, Charles did not get along with the other members of the crew, and he was hazed all the time and bullied by his fellow crewmen. A year into his service, Charles's leading petty officer on the Woodrow Wilson discovered him sitting at the missile controls, and he was wearing a blue surgical mask, gloves, and scrubs, and was not in his usual uniform, and he was actually just. Disp- discipline for his actions because he wasn't in uniform and he probably seemed like he was a little out of it. And he also never explained why he was there or why he was dressed like that or what he was doing. And so because of his bizarre behavior and no explanation as to why he did that, the Navy made the decision to reassign Charles to a lower pressure job on the supply ship USS Canopus, Canopus? Kind of, yeah, you get it. And he actually attempted suicide and was committed to the Navy psychiatric ward several times over the subsequent years there. So I think they figured that the lower pressure would help him and that maybe being underwater, you know, made him do these bizarre things. But I think we can figure out that that was not the case. And he's just a bizarre person. So 1984, this is approximately six years into service with the Navy. He received a medical discharge for undisclosed reasons. And shortly thereafter, Charles enrolled in the Mountainside Hospital School for Nursing in Montclair, New Jersey. So I think even though it's undisclosed reasons, I think just by knowing that he had multiple suicide attempts that we can figure out what it was for. So during this time, he actually met Adrian Bohm who was his future wife. Now I read that her name was Adrian and also Adriana. So either or, Uh, but they ended up having two daughters together. So let's jump right in to the crimes. So the first murders in which Charles confessed to occurred at St. Barnabas on June 11th, 1988. Charles administered a lethal overdose intravenous medication to judge John W. Yango Sr., and he was admitted to the hospital for an allergic reaction to a blood thinning drug. So he did eventually admit to killing several other patients at St. Barnabas, including an AIDS patient who died after he had been given an overdose of insulin. So Charles left St. Barnabas in January 1992. So this is four years after his first reported murder. And this is when the hospital authorities began investigating who had contaminated the IV bags. The investigation determined that Charles had most likely been responsible and resulted in dozens of patients deaths at the hospital while he was employed there, which he was employed there entirely, approximately six years. So one month later, after quitting St. Barnabas, Charles started working at Warren hospital. And this is in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, Pretty much, our entire story is going to live in New Jersey, and then a little bit in Pennsylvania. So we are still in New Jersey, and this would this hospital, uh, Warren Hospital, the location that he murdered three elderly women with overdoses of the heart medication digoxin. His final victim said that a and I quote sneaky male nurse had injected her as she slept, but family members and healthcare providers just completely dismissed her comments and said that they were unfounded and they didn't even investigate or question anyone, which the fuck they must've felt so bad when it came out that all of this was going down. So around this time in January of 1993, Adrian actually filed for divorce and later she filed two domestic violence complaints against Charles The divorce papers depicted that Charles was an alcoholic who abused pets by placing them in bowling bags and trash cans, pouring lighter fluid into other people, into other people's drinks and made prank calls to funeral homes. Charles moved into a basement apartment in Phillipsburg after the divorce. And Charles and Adrian also shared custody of his two daughters, but he actually admitted that he wanted to quit nursing at this time, but, He needed the money for child support payments, so he just kept working, which (laughs) I kind of wish he just quit working, because maybe so many people wouldn't have died, so... A couple months after that, we're in March of 1993, Charles broke into a co-worker's home while she and her young uh, son were actually sleeping, and he left without even waking them, and he began to stalk this woman and was calling her and leaving her messages, like following her around town, and so she eventually filed a police report against him. He pleaded guilty, trespassing and receiving one-year probation, and then the day after his arrest, Charles attempted suicide again. After this suicide attempt, he took two months off work and was treated for depression in two different psychiatric facilities, but he attempted suicide twice more by the end of the year. September of 1993, a 91-year-old cancer patient who reported that Charles, who was not her assigned nurse, had come into her room and injected her with a needle, and she actually died the next day. Now, her son protested that her death was completely not natural, and the Warren Hospital administered a lie detector test on Charles and then several other nurses that were working that day. And Charles actually passed, and he continued to work at the Warren Hospital until the following spring. So, isn't that proof enough that no wonder they don't allow those things in court anymore? Because either they didn't ask the right questions, or... He's just cool, calm, and collected, which is even more terrifying. So Charles actually at this time officially became a licensed nurse in Pennsylvania in 1994. And around this time is also when he began his three-year stint in the intensive care and cardiac care unit of the Hunterdon Medical Center in Flemington, New Jersey. He claimed that he did not harm anyone during the first two years, but hospital records for that time period had been destroyed when he was arrested in 2003. So there is no way to confirm or deny that, which he might've known about. So he could have lied, but Charles did admit to murdering five people between January and September 1996, again with overdoses with digoxin. Afterwards, he found work at Morristown Memorial Hospital, but that didn't last long as he was fired due to poor performance. Then he was unemployed for six months and he completely stopped making child support payments. And he sought treatment for depression during this time in the Warren Hospital. And he was briefly admitted to a psychiatric facility again. Neighbors said that this, like this psychiatric visit and this period where he was depressed And was unemployed for six months was not helping his mental health at all. And that they would see him chasing cats down the street in the dead of the night, yelling or talking to himself and making faces at people when he thought that they weren't looking. Which wouldn't that be weird? You're just like looking at him and he suddenly makes that bizarre face at you. Honestly, that sounds like something I would do, but not in a creepy way. I just make faces sometimes. (laughs) So in February of 1998, Charles was hired by the Liberty Nursing and Rehab Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where he staffed a ward of respiratory dependent patients. And then this is where Charles was accused of giving patients drugs at unscheduled times. And so he was fired after entering the patient's room with syringes in his hand. And this whole encounter actually left that patient with a broken arm. But thankfully, he wasn't injected by anything. So Charles did cause a patient's death at Liberty Hospital, but he was actually blamed on a completely different nurse. And then after leaving Liberty, he was employed at Easton Hospital in Easton, Pennsylvania, from November 1998 to March of 1999. A month after he was hired on December 30th, he murdered yet another patient with digoxin, and a coroner's blood test showed lethal amounts of digoxin in the patient's blood, But an internal investigation with Easton Hospital was inconclusive and evidence collected didn't even point to Charles as the murderer. Which, how? 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 I know there's a lot of dates and a lot of places, but basically this is 16 years of his career that he's getting away with murdering people. So it's absolutely wild. So while he's at Easton Hospital and murdering that person... He was also filing for bankruptcy and he claimed about $67,000 in debts. How was he even working at all these places? And so I looked into it and around this time, there's absolutely no system on to identify nurses that had maybe employment problems or mental health issues that maybe could impact their work. There's no reporting mechanism for like sketchy things happening or like anything like that. There is nothing. And there was not really a solid system in background checks either. So it wasn't computerized or anything. And there was a national shortage of nurses. And so I think hospitals were just like, yeah, you, you're a nurse? Cool. Yeah. Like come, come work for me. Also, just like Dr. Death and how we went over that and how a couple of the hospitals there never reported him either. It's because they're concerned of liability issues and they don't want to make the hospital, you know, receive any lawsuits against them so they're just totally unwilling to take any action because they don't want lawsuits against them which like people are dying (laughs) but okay cool so march of 1999 charles took a job at the burn unit of allentown's lehigh valley hospital in pennsylvania and this is where he murdered one more patient and attempted to murder another A month later, he voluntarily resigned from there and took a job working in the cardiac care unit at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. In the next three years, while he was employed there, he murdered at least five patients and is known to have attempted to kill two more. And on January 11th, 2000, he once again attempted suicide by lighting a charcoal grill in his bathtub, and he was hoping to succumb to the carbon monoxide poisoning. But Charles' neighbors smelled the smoke and they called the fire department and the police and he was taken to the hospital and a psychiatric facility, but they released him the next day. (laughs) Like, that is a pretty unique way to attempt suicide on yourself. And I think that represents quite a mental health issue. And not that I'm surprised because, you know, even now mental health is hard to get help for in certain places, let alone in January 11th, 2000. But I just think it's wild when I was researching this, that as much as he obviously sucks because he murdered all these people, he's also not getting the help at all. Like ever, even when he was a kid and younger and hadn't done anything yet, he wasn't getting the help. So it, it is kind of sad. And in that sense, that sense alone, That's it. I'm not (laughs) being apologetic for anything else. So Charles was going around killing people at St. Luke's without anyone suspecting anything for a while for about these three years. But then a coworker found vials of medication in a disposal bin. And like, they just weren't really supposed to be in this area. And the drugs that she found we're not valuable outside the hospital, like they're not used recreationally, it's not like a narcotic. And so this kind of sparked concern, because like, why is there? Why are they all here? An investigation was started, and it actually showed that Charles had taken the medication. And so he was offered a deal by the medical facility to either resign, or to be given a neutral recommendation, or to be fired. So I think the clear answer here is to resign and be given a neutral recommendation. So he resigns and he's escorted from the building in June of 2002. And seven of his coworkers at St. Luke's later alerted the Lehigh County district attorney on their suspicions that he was using drugs to kill patients. Go these seven people, because obviously the hospitals are not doing shit all, And so they went on to even say that between January and June, 2002, that he had worked 20% of the hours on his unit, but was present for nearly two thirds of all the deaths. How suspicious can you be? So investigators actually never (laughs) looked into Charles past. And that case was dropped nine months later for lack of evidence. So as much as I commend the seven coworkers boo on the investigators we've talked about a lot of cases on this podcast already where the police kind of dropped the ball in some areas. And I think this is another example of that. So in September of 2002, he began working in the critical care unit of Somerset medical center in Somerville, New Jersey. And he actually began dating a local woman here at this time, but his depression was still really bad and it was actually worsening. And Charles had actually killed at least 13 patients and attempted to kill at least one more by mid-2003 by using digoxin, insulin, and ephedrine, which is adrenaline. And I'm sure I butchered that word. So, Charles even attempted to murder the Somerset patient, Philip Greger, who was actually later discharged but died six months later of natural causes. So soon Somerset actually was beginning to notice Charles's wrongdoings, thank God, because at this point the hospital actually had a computer system, and this was showing that Charles was accessing records of patients to whom he was not even assigned. And coworkers also reported him seeing in the rooms of patients to whom he was not assigned either. So yay on technology and having some sort of reporting system. The hospital also had a computerized drug dispensing cabinet. And so they looked at those records and it showed that Charles was requesting medications that his patients had not even been prescribed. And his drug tests were super weird. He would, it would like include all orders that were immediately canceled or he would request them like within minutes of each other. I think he was just trying to like fool the system, but I don't think he was very smart at it. In July of 2003, the executive director of the New Jersey Poison Information and Education System warned Somerset officials that at least four suspicious overdoses indicated the possibility that an employee was killing patients. Now, the hospital delayed telling authorities until October, so like what, four months later? And by then, he had actually killed at least another five patients and attempted one. Like, just... Tell, like, some, some just report it. <laughs> Great. So, in October of 2003, a patient at Somerset actually died of low blood sugar, and the hospital alerted the New Jersey State Police. And this patient was Charles's final victim. So, state officials completely castigated the hospital for failing to report a non fatal insulin overdose that was ad- administered by Charles in August, so, like, just a few months prior. And they did an investigation into his employment history and it revealed all of the past suspicions on his involvement and all these other patients' deaths and, you know, all the mental health issues and, you know, the stalking and everything like that. And so Somerset officially, officially fired Charles on October 31st, 2003 for lying on his job application, not for murders. Relying on his job application. Now, I know they can't say murders because he's not charged yet, but like, wouldn't <laughs> I just think it's kind of a funny loophole because it could not be, f- there's such bigger problems here than lying on a job application. <laughs> so, one of his fellow nurses, Amy Loren, she alerted the police after she became alarmed about Charles's records of accessing drugs and then his links to patients' deaths. So police kept him under surveillance for several weeks until they had completed their investigation. And so finally, Amy was asked by police to visit Charles after work hours and to talk to him while she wore a wire. And then after this conversation, police had enough evidence for an arrest. So Charles Cullen was arrested at a restaurant on December 12th, 2003 and charged with one count of murder and one count of attempted murder. Now, I know it's only one in one. Just hold your horses. It's okay. So two days later, he admitted to the homicide detectives, Dan Baldwin and Tim Braun, that he had murdered Florian Gall and had attempted murder on Jin Kyung Ha, both who were patients at Somerset. He also told detectives that he had murdered as many as 40 patients over his 16 year career. In April 2004, he pleaded guilty before Judge Paul W. Armstrong in a New Jersey court to killing 13 patients and to attempting to kill two others by lethal injection while he was employed at Somerset. As a part of his plea agreement, he actually promised to cooperate with authorities, and this would mean that he would not seek the death penalty. And cooperating with authorities, they wanted him to identify his other victims So that was all that he was participating in. A month later, he did plead guilty to the murder of three more patients in New Jersey. And in November of 2004, a few months later, he pleaded guilty again in Allentown to killing six patients and trying to kill three others. Now, at this proceeding, he actually repeatedly interrupted and taunted the judge with the chant, Your Honor, you need to step down. And then he was actually eventually ordered to be restrained and gagged. (laughs) So about a year and a half later, it's March 2nd, 2006, Charles Cullen was sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences by Judge Armstrong in New Jersey. And he is not eligible for parole until 2403 and he is currently being held at the New Jersey State Prison in Trenton, New Jersey. Eight days later, on March 10th, 2006, he was brought into the courtroom of Lehigh County President Judge William H. Platt for a sentencing hearing. Charles also got upset with this judge and started repeating the same phrase, Your Honor, You Need to Step Down. He did it for 30 minutes straight until Judge Platt had him gigged with a cloth and duct tape, Even after being gagged, he was attempting to still repeat the phrase. And Judge Platt continued to give him an additional six life sentences that day. I think in his head, he's just like, well, I'm obviously going to be dead by 2,403. So maybe he just didn't care anymore. Which, like, would anyone? So motive. Motive. Why is he doing these things? Other than the fact that he's one disturbed fucker. (laughs) I do actually have like a really short interview um, that was on 60 Minutes. I found it on YouTube and I thought it was just interesting to hear it in his own words, I guess. So I'm going to include it in just a moment. But he did come out and say that he administered the overdoses to patients to spare them from being coded or going into cardiac or respiratory arrest. And he didn't want them to be listed as a code blue emergency. He also told detectives that he could not bear to witness or hear about attempts at saving a victim's life. He stated that he would overdose the patients so that he could end their suffering and prevent hospital personnel from dehumanizing them. But not all his victims were even terminal patients. Like not all of them at all. Like one of the victims they talk about in the interview is young, young, early twenties, late teens, I'd say. So in an interview, a coworker did say most of his victims were people on the mend and that Charles was using drugs like digoxin and insulin because they had no street value and therefore could be taken without anyone really noticing because they're not audited as frequently like narcotics or other things. And even though Charles stated that he wanted to end the victim's suffering, he actually may have caused some of them more pain. So he did tell investigators that he would observe them for days watching them suffer and that each decision to commit each murder was performed completely by impulse. Like there was no rhyme or reason for it. And that he mostly lived in a fog and couldn't remember most of his murders. But when investigators would present photos or information about his patients and victims and like hospitals, then he would remember, which is bizarre. So I'm going to play the video right now um, of this little snippet of a 60 minute interview with him. So I'll see you when we get back.
1: How did you choose who you were going to give this medication to it's difficult for me to go back in time and think about what things were running through my mind at the time was it personal no no did you get pleasure out of it? satisfaction no i mean i i i thought that that people weren't suffering anymore so in a sense i thought i was helping Cullen suggested several times that his actions were merciful, but the evidence doesn't support it. Sixty-year-old Eleanor Stecker, an asthma patient, was recovering and in no pain when Cullen administered a fatal digoxin overdose. College student Michael Strenko, who suffered from an autoimmune disease, was recovering from what his parents called routine surgery to remove his spleen. My heart, it aches for my son. It bleeds for My son. We vividly remember Charles Cullen walking into the waiting room. He looked us right in the eye and stated how Michael was gravely ill and people don't make it. And my wife told Cullen, that's enough. You could leave now. We're haunted by the memory of Charles Cullen coming to the waiting room to get our reaction. There were people that you caused to die who were not near death and not suffering that much. You know, um, again, you know, I mean, uh, my goal here isn't to justify, you know, what I did. There is no justification. Um, I just think that the only thing I can say is that I felt overwhelmed at the time. Can you give us anything? Can you give the families anything? Any explanation? for how this happened and why this happened? Uh, Like I said, I I can't, I just can say that it was more or less, you know, felt like I needed to do something. And uh, I I did. And uh, that's not an answer to anything.
0: So if you guys do want to see that video, I did find it on YouTube and I will provide the link to it in the description. If you are interested, it's, I don't think he has like any expression on his face. He's like, I don't know. It's just very cold. It seems like, so I just think he's a very disturbed person. So I, and I don't think he has an answer as to why I think the answer that he has, like he was, you know, solving like trying to end their suffering. I think that's just a little bullshit that he just wanted to say to save grace because he basically had no answer when it's like well not not everyone was even dying. Like if you watch the video, he just kind of like stares at the reporter. So currently, the laws at this time in New Jersey and Pennsylvania where he practiced required healthcare facilities to report suspicious deaths, but only in the most like egregious cases. And the penalties to do so were like very minor. And then many states also didn't give investigators the legal authority to discover workers' previous employers. And like I said before, employers feared to investigate incidents or to even give a bad employee reference as they didn't want to trigger a lawsuit. And according to detectives and Charles himself, some hospitals did suspect him, but they failed to take any appropriate action, which is not shocking so after Charles's conviction, many of the hospitals at which he worked at were actually sued by the families of the victims, and all of them settled out of court and are sealed. So they all got probably a decent settlement, which I am so happy they sued the hospitals. It's absolute garbage that they're letting people die because they're just fearful. Ridiculous. Coworkers of Charles did also take it upon themselves to try to prevent him from being hired when he was moving around a lot and going to different hospitals. They even tried to attempt to get him fired if he was already employed there. So they would contact nearby hospitals in secret or like speak to superiors. And then when he took a job at the Sacred Heart Hospital in Allentown in 2001, a nurse actually heard rumors about him. And so she told her co-workers and then all the nurses threatened to all quit if he wasn't fired. And so the hospital fired him. So I think that was like just interesting to note that the co-workers were trying to, you know, protect themselves, but say something ridiculous that they weren't listened to. But I thought that was really great that, you know, they they were trying. What happened now? Like, did any laws come forward from anything that happened here? And yes, the answer is Yes. So prompted by the case, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and 35 other states adopted new laws which encourage employers to give honest appraisals of workers' job performance to give employers legal protections if they provide a truthful employee appraisal. So the New Jersey laws formed the model that then the other states would then follow. So firstly, in 2004, the Patient Safety Act, was implemented and it increased hospitals' responsibility for reporting serious preventable adverse events. And the 2005 Enhancement Act is a supplement to the Patient Safety Act, requiring hospitals to report certain details on their employees to the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs and mandated for complaints and disciplinary records related to patient care to be kept for at least seven years. So that's really great to, you know, add that in. Sad to see that not all states did that, but, you know, it's a majority. I'll take it. I'm Canadian, so I didn't even look up what we have here. So I know we have like a ton of policies like that. So I assume we have something. But So Charles Cullen is what we would call an angel of death or an angel of mercy killer. And this is described as the type of killer who is employed as like a caregiver and they kill people that they work for. Or they can be killers who murder because they are believing they're ending the victim's suffering. And this can be like a real or imaginary. So maybe Charles did think that they were more in pain. He was like delusional in that sense. I'm not exactly sure. But it totally possible that nothing's really come out since about a diagnosis or anything like that. And he's obviously going to rot in prison. He is 62 right now and he is still in the New Jersey prison and there's not really any reports on him otherwise. So he must not be a very unique inmate, I assume. So yeah, um, he will rot there and die there. That's, that's it for him, I guess. But I definitely want to hear your thoughts about Charles Cullen. Completely different Angel of Death Killers with Christopher Dunch and Charles Cullen. So, you know, so that it's interesting to, you know, one is basically because they have no idea what they're doing and they don't care and they have a great ego complex. And then the other one is just wanting to murder a lot of people. So... And I think Charles Cullen's death count is definitely over 40. In my opinion, I think that he hasn't admitted to all of them, and I don't think he probably ever will. But as crazy it sounds, but 16 years and 40 people, I think like some of those numbers were very frequent. Like in eight months, he killed like 13 people. So if he was going on that track record almost the entire time, his number is more than 40. So... Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever find out, but definitely want to hear your thoughts. Let me know what you think. And thank you so much for listening. And if you want to follow the Instagram, it's at Murder Sandwich Podcast. I post, you know, when there's new episodes and such on there. And I will be seeing you soon for the next podcast. Bye.